There is truth. You can know it, live it, and be liberated by it. I'm Audrey Rindlisbacher. Thank you for joining me on this podcast where we explore how the truth can set you free. Hello, friends. It has been a while, and I am so glad to be back. I have missed you. You have probably noticed that this podcast has been renamed to Audrey Rindlisbacher. That's just to simplify, because more than just moms want to know how the truth can make them free. I have been spending time collecting all of the trainings and videos and event recordings and courses and academies that I've built over the years to help people learn how to find and apply true principles. We've put a whole bunch of those in the Audrey Rindlisbacher Library, which you can find at audreyrindlisbacher.com if you would like to get involved with that. And we've also put up a new opt-in, which is my favorite opt-in I've ever put out. Uh, It's a kind of like a mini course, a mini mini course. It's called the Truth Seeker Starter Kit, and it's really just a quick jump start into the five steps of discovering and applying true principles that I think will be hugely beneficial to you and anyone that you love and want to share that with. And I am starting up a book club. This podcast will announce that whatever the reading is for the upcoming month, I'll have one coming out in a couple weeks for November's reading. We will do some discussions here and we will discuss the book in the community, in the library, and we will also make available, I'm gonna make a study guide every month, a study and discussion guide to go with the reading. And you can use that in your book club, in your own individual study. You can talk to us about it in the community and it will have principles lists and discussion questions and thought questions and resources like I always provide. This podcast, is gonna provide what you have expected in the past, all the same different kinds of genres and concepts, but with a laser white focus on truth and how it sets us free, the natural moral law, the nature of principles. With this added book club component, I hope that we can also do some interviews with some people who can teach us some important concepts, but I'm just excited to be back excited to have you here with me, excited to be talking a bit again about all these important ideas that really do revolutionize our lives. I've been so grateful to share them specifically with moms in the last few years, but also with a broader audience over the, I don't know, 15 or 20 years I've been doing this. So thank you for being here. Look forward to talking to you really regularly on this podcast again. You can also find me on YouTube. There's other videos that go up there that aren't always found on this podcast, so you can go and enjoy those if you'd like to. Today, I have given you an article that I wrote earlier this year called Why Self-Help Doesn't Help and What You Can Do Instead. It's a lot about my journey to discover truth, and I think I've been able to really articulate what the natural law is and why it matters so much in this article probably better than I've ever done. So I'm going to share that with you over the next few minutes. If you'd like to read it for yourself, you can find it also at Audrey Rindlisbacher on my blog. So enjoy, and I look forward to all the times we can interact as this podcast relaunches and comes to you regularly. Enjoy. We live in this crazy world where everybody is telling us that there's my truth and there's your truth and there's no universal truth. There's no objective truth. It's all subjective. It's all relative. And you know what? That just isn't true. And 
I want to tell you my story about how I figured out for myself that that was absolutely not true and why it makes such a huge difference when you know that there is objective truth and that that objective truth matters and how that objective truth can transform your life and truly make you free. I'm going to read you an article that I wrote explaining my whole story and you can go read it at audreyrenlessbacher.com on my blog and you can learn more about everything I do over there. I was sitting in my basement in an old armchair in a sparsely furnished room because we had no money for couches or decor. Our used treadmill was next to me on one side and my children were on the other. There were four of them then and I adored them, but I often felt that they deserved a much better mom than me. I was so depressed, so confused and overwhelmed. All my life, I had wanted to be a wife and a mother. I had planned for it and looked forward to it, and now I was here and I felt grossly underprepared. What made things even worse was the myriad of unforeseen troubles that had descended on me over the past five years until I felt crushed under their weight. One of the worst of these was my marriage. My husband and I loved each other and wanted to make things work, but his pornography addiction was a constant source of pain and confusion for both of us, and I often felt betrayed. He had shared his struggles with me, with me before we got married, but unfortunately, we were both naive enough to think that marriage, marriage would fix it. Our crippling financial situation strained our relationship further. His commission-only career meant a constant seesaw of income that we didn't know how to ride successfully. Trying to make ends meet, we built one home after another, building it, living in it, then selling it, and using the equity for income. This created instability in our family and intense loneliness for me. During this time, I longed to turn to our families to help, but our parents were lost in their own failing marriages. In those years, one couple had separated and another had divorced. So we had no stable grandparents to look to. Unfortunately, many of our other extended family relationships were also strained for a variety of reasons. As for me personally, it just it wasn't just all these external issues that were causing me pain. I loved my family dearly. Although I was grateful to be a wife and a mother, I felt like I was getting lost in it. There never seemed to be enough time, money, or resources for me to develop as a person. And actually, it was worse than that because I didn't even know enough about myself, what I liked, what my gifts were and talents, how I could spend time each week doing things that would fulfill me. I didn't even know where to begin. In this midst of hardships, in that moment, in our basement, I knew that I should get on that treadmill, but I didn't want to. I mean, it was more than not wanting to. I didn't know how to make myself. And as I glanced from the treadmill to my children, I felt a wave of discouragement. How was I going to become the mom they deserved? A mom that was more optimistic, that was more put together, that knew how to be a stable, consistent wife and mother, that knew how to handle all the challenges in her life. I felt trapped, but I also knew that there was nowhere else I'd rather be. I never thought I'd find myself in this situation and I wondered what else I could have done to be more prepared. College had been no help. Although I'd spent three years in a really good university, we all know that higher education doesn't prepare you for real life. The purpose of university studies is the pursuit of career and financial success. 
Yet there is so much to life outside these specific endeavors, arguably the most important things in life. And I wanted to know how to live, how to navigate key relationships with confidence and connection, how to better manage my emotions, time, and money, how to raise children of integrity, how to develop myself as a woman. Virtually nothing I learned in school taught me how to do these things. Of course, all my life, I had turned to God again and again for comfort and insight, and He was always there, loving me through all the troubles. But now my difficulty seemed so much bigger, so much more vital. I knew He cared. I regularly was regularly nurtured through prayer and scripture reading, yet the answers to the problems I was facing didn't seem to be surfacing. And either I didn't know how to hear him and utilize scripture well enough, or, and I think this was truly the case, he wanted to lead me to the truths I would later find so that I could not only have more permanent solutions to my own problems, but I could share what I learned with others. So I did what all of us do in these moments of great desperation. I turned to self-help. For me, this included spending time in dozens of books, courses, and even going to therapy. Though there were moments of insight and bits of progress, after years of exhausting these resources, I was not much better off. Our marriage was still troubled, my husband was still addicted, our finances were still a mess, and I still didn't know how to move forward with my own personal growth. I constantly wondered, why is nothing working? What in the world am I supposed to do? Out of ideas and feeling incapable of solving many of my personal and family problems, I decided to try to find something just for me, something that could break through the mommy fog in my brain and help me feel like I was growing as a person. I looked into several options, including finishing my university degree, signing up for the then popular Franklin Covey writing mentoring, or taking drawing classes. The problem was that everything that sounded interesting cost money and time, both of which I didn't feel I had. Around this time, I went to lunch with my sister-in-law and shared with her my woes. Listening to my story, she told me about a little college she had recently run across. When I looked into it, I was intrigued by how different it seemed than any college or university I was familiar with. For one thing, this school was not accredited. That meant there was an intense focus on personal development rather than income earning. This college also allowed me to sign up for distance courses where I could work through the material at my own pace, something absolutely vital for a mom of small, four small kids. And most importantly, there seemed to be a depth that was apparent not only from the difficulty of the readings, but as stated on their website, the goal of this education was to build character by learning from the most important thinkers in history. It sounded challenging, but a different kind of challenge than the ones I'd been having for the past several years, something that might provide real answers and real personal development. Some of the most important insights I gained, those that would have the greatest impact on our lives, came early on. For one of my first classes, I was reading The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and two important paradigm shifts that helped me begin to understand why this college focused on classics to build character emerged. They also gave me my first insight into why self-help doesn't seem to help. The first epiphany came when Stephen Covey talked about how in an attempt to understand the keys of successful living, he had read or scanned hundreds of articles, essays, books, and key publications in the United States since 1776, 
on subjects such, sub, such as self-improvement, popular psychology, and self-help. He noticed a pattern. He explained, the success literature of the past 50 years, he said this in, eight, in 1989, <laughs> the success literature of the past 50 years was superficial. It was filled with techniques and quick fixes that addressed acute problems and sometimes appeared to solve them temporarily, but left the underlying chronic problems untouched to fester and resurface time and again. He contrasted this literature, what he called personality ethic writings, with the character ethic approach that he said was prevalent in the writings published the 150 years prior. Benjamin Franklin's autobiography was representative of the character ethic, he explained. In it, Franklin attempted to change his basic nature over time. He did not adopt specific practices and habits that others recommended. This was mind-blowing for me. If Covey, Covey was right, which I came to know he was as I later studied many of the same writings myself, then there was a major flaw in most of the books, programs, and even therapeutic approaches I had been trying for years. There was actually a reason they hadn't worked, and it wasn't that I was stupid or that I couldn't change. There was something wrong with them, not with me. I felt a spark of hope for the first time in a long time. Then came major insight number two. Covey went on to explain that the shift in the focus of the literature began happening after World War I, when the personality ethic writings, while sometimes giving lip service to the importance of character, were full of, quote, quick fix influence techniques, power strategies, communication skills, and positive attitudes, unquote. Sound familiar? In contrast, the character ethic writings of earlier times were quote, taught that th these, the earlier times taught that there are basic principles of effective living and that people can only experience true success and enduring happiness as they learn and integrate these principles into their basic character. I felt like I'd been hit right between the eyes. Basic principles, enduring happiness, it sounded fantastic, but I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> Although Covey went on to call out some of the principles he was referencing, they were more like concepts, like honesty or kindness, values I believed in and I was already striving to live. This left me feeling confused about exactly what principles were and how they could make my life more successful and happy, but new ideas had been planted. I didn't have any answers yet, but I had these powerful insights and with further searching, praying, studying, research, pondering, and practice, these ideas would eventually blossom into a new way of life for me and my family. In the meantime, I kept reading Seven Habits. When I ran across Covey's description of mission statements and the importance of creating a family mission statement, I got excited. It sounded just like what we needed. I thought that maybe writing out a family mission statement would help me and my husband get on the same page in our parenting, and maybe it would give our family some clarity about the direction we were headed. So my husband and I went on a weekend retreat with a long list in our hands of all the things we wanted our family to become. For hours each day, we walked and talked, going over each item and trying to get at the heart of what was most important to us. Then, on our last afternoon, we were sitting in our hotel room, trying to put all the pieces together, and suddenly my husband lit up with excitement. 
It's like that scripture verse about the truth setting you free, he said. We looked it up in the Bible, and there it was. John 8, 31 and 32. And if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We just looked at each other for several moments, feeling the power of those words. The truth will make you free. That was it. That was our family mission statement. There was nothing we wanted more at that time in our lives than for the truth to make us free. Free of addiction, free from financial worries, free in our relationships, free from our fears. Again, I was hopeful. Again, unsure how to proceed. Yet over the weeks that followed, I kept turning that phrase over in my head, the truth will make you free. At some point during that time, I made a connection that got me thinking about principles in a new way. Jesus had said that the truth will make me free. And Stephen Covey had taught that principles are the foundation that produces successful, happy lives. What if principles and truth had something to do with each other? What if principles were truths that could make me free? And if they were, how could I better understand principles and live them? I sat with these thoughts and wondered how to move forward until one day John Locke provided the next step. Locke was a British philosopher in the 1600s who had a huge influence on the way people think about government and its role in our lives. For one of my classes, we were reading an essay by him called The Second Treatise on Government. In this essay, in order to better explain his ideas about government, he began by asking the reader to imagine a place where there was no ruling body. Consider what society would be like with no government in place, he proposed. How would individuals know what was right and wrong? How would people behave? After setting up the scenario, Locke said something that made me think differently about the world from that moment on. All men, he explained, are naturally in a state of perfect freedom to order their actions as they see fit within the bounds of the law of nature. Unquote. This single sentence turned what I'd been taught all my life upside down. I had been told from spiritual and secular teachers alike that there was God and his commandments on the one hand, and only the believers took those ideas seriously. And then there were the scientific laws on the other hand, and those were universal and immutable. But here was this brand new idea from a thinker in the past who had been so influential that he was quoted in the, in the United States Declaration of Independence. He seemed to be claiming that the law of nature was not a scientific set of truths, but rather a social set of human laws that govern human interactions at all levels, from the family to the government. He then went on to connect the law of nature to freedom. You can only imagine how much that completely intrigued me. I desperately wanted greater freedom. I knew I had to get to the bottom of this. I determined to do whatever I had to do to figure out if Locke was right, if others agreed with him, and if so, I wanted to deeply understand the law of nature and how it could make me free. What my research over the next few years uncovered was shocking. It turns out that the concept of the law of nature is thousands of years old. I found dozens of voices echoing the validity of the law of nature and how important it is to human thriving. Philosophers, 
leaders and thinkers in the West have been talking about it since the time of Plato and before. In fact, it's an idea so pervasive in human nature that it is very similar to the concept of the Tao in the East. In my study, C.S. Lewis's guidance through the basics of the law of nature has been invaluable. Aware in the early 20th century that the removal of classical works from our schools was closing down the conversation on the law of nature, he took to studying, speaking, and writing about it in several places, including his fireside talks on Christianity air on BBC Radio during World War II. He knew it was necessary to begin these talks on the basic tenets of the Christian faith with a tutorial on the law of nature because even 80 years ago, this knowledge was already being lost. He understood how vital the natural law is to the stability and success of individuals and societies. So in his books, he left us very important insights into what the law of nature is, why it matters, and how we can honor it. There are basically two different aspects to the law of nature that C.S. Lewis presents. The first deals with our own personal behavior. Lewis explains that because God has created everything, he knows best how to help all his creations function optimally, especially his children. That's why he calls the law of nature, quote, God's instructions for running the human machine. It's like an inventor who builds a robot and proceeds to write out the instruction manual, teaching the user how to make it work perfectly, how to keep up with the ongoing maintenance and what to do if there is a breakdown. The law of nature or the law of human nature, as Lewis calls it, is the set of rules that God has put in place for humans to best manage themselves. To the extent that they follow the creator's instructions, Lewis argued, their lives will be productive, successful, and happy. Sounds a lot like Stephen Covey. William Blackstone confirmed this idea centuries earlier by beginning his extensive set of volumes on British common law by explaining that all human law has its root in God's law of nature. He said that God has so intimately interwoven our real personal happiness and the law of nature that, quote, if the former, the law of nature, be punctually obeyed, it cannot but induce the latter true happiness. Just as the robot doesn't get to make up all the rules for his own maintenance, we don't get to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. God has made those rules. But God has left us to figure it out, has not left us, left us to, let, to figure it out for ourselves. As the 20th century philosopher Thomas Reed put it, the law of nature is, quote, written by the finger of God on the very hearts of men, unquote. It is this intuitive understanding of the basics of right and wrong that enables us to judge our own behavior against a higher standard that we intuitively know. This explains why we have a conscience, why we suffer guilt, why we feel we should, should be better. In fact, without an innate sense of the law of nature, we would never judge ourselves or others at all because there would be no higher objective standard to judge things by. Therefore, in our own personal behavior, we all know we have something inside ourselves encouraging us to do certain things and behave a certain way, whether we want to or not. And as Locke, Blackstone, Reed, Covey, the American founders, and many, many others have taught, 
To the extent that we know and honor the law of nature, we will enjoy lasting success and happiness. In this very real sense, I came to see that the law of nature was the truth that could set me free. Which brings us to the second aspect of the law of nature that Lewis expounded upon, its social aspect. He explains that if you listen to people long enough, you'll hear a lot of arguing about things like fairness or ownership or justice. He says that all this quarreling is only possible because each person is trying to prove that the other is wrong and he is right. But, and here's the important point, you can only have these kinds of arguments if you both know that there is a right and a wrong and that you both should and actually do inherently understand it. We couldn't even navigate our social interactions without appeal to the higher law of nature. Yet ironically, we pretend like it doesn't exist. As Jordan Peterson recently commented, today we say we don't believe in objective moral truths, AKA this law of nature, yet we actually act like we do. C.S. Lewis made this same comment decades ago about the moral issues of World War II. He said that the same, he said that if there's no intuitively known law of nature, quote, all the things we said about the war were nonsense. What was the sense in saying that the enemy were in the wrong unless right is a real thing, which the Nazis at bottom knew as well as we did and ought to have practiced? Lysander Spooner agreed. In his 1882 work titled Natural Law or the Science of Justice, he taught that listening to children on a playground is profound evidence of the reality of this law in our social interactions. He explained that children constantly appeal to it and hold each other to this standard. Quote, their childish plays even could not be carried on without a constant regard to the laws of nature. And it is equally impossible for persons of any age to live together in peace on any other conditions. William Blackstone reaffirmed this when he taught that the law of nature, quote, is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times. No human laws are of validity if contrary to this. This means that not only do we desperately need a clear understanding of the law of nature to navigate our personal lives, it is also the foundation for all our social interactions and even the basis for all human laws. Pretty intense. That's why C.S. Lewis was right to be alarmed about the loss of this fundamental framework of human existence. Its loss is daily wreaking havoc in our world. The secularization of everything, the your truth, my truth approach to personal and societal resolution, the subjective rather than objective approach to truth, goodness, and beauty are creating confusion as they conflict with the real truth, which is the law of nature written on our hearts. We've certainly moved a long way from where we were 250 years ago when the American founders wrote, quote, the laws of nature and of nature's God into the United States Declaration of Independence. Clearly, it was understood and believed then. What happened? Going all the way back to what Stephen Covey uncovered with the personality and character ethic approaches to human problem solving, we can see that the timelines correspond the 20th century loss of the classical works that taught about the law of nature and the religious framework that made sense of it in everyday life have left, the, left us floundering in quick fix approaches that cannot produce the lasting results we long for. 
Further research and study taught me that the term law of nature is an umbrella term for all the rules that govern human thought and action. Under this umbrella are universally and intuitively known first principles that most human beings can agree on. These are concepts like rights, self-reliance, justice, love, etc. These are actually the types of principles Covey was talking about. From these first principles flow principles. I finally figured out where they fit. These are also universal truths, but not necessarily intuitively known. They often have to be learned and applied consciously. These are truths like forgiveness brings emotional peace or seek first to understand, then to be understood. These are what I have come to call actionable principles. They are truths in the form of principled statements that apply to all humans all of the time, but which are presented in a way, in such a way that a myriad of applications of them can be formulated. With these actionable principles in hand, individualized applications of the principles can be practiced, which produce lasting health and wholeness, the truth that makes us free. With this understanding in hand, I could now clearly see why self-help didn't help me and doesn't help so many others. It was obvious that the basic assumptions and approaches which make up modern self-help philosophies and practices are fundamentally incomplete or broken. I've come to understand that there are at least five specific reasons why self-help doesn't help us. Reason number one. Modern self-help resources are personality ethic rather than character, character ethic based, focusing on content, discussions, or solutions that don't change our basic character permanently for the better. Re reason number two, because the concept of natural law is so virtually lost today, modern self-help isn't developed within that framework which means it may or may not align with reality and truth. Reason number three, modern self-help often focuses on managing thoughts or emotions rather than learning to fundamentally think differently about ourselves and the world, especially through the lens of the law of nature and principles. Reason number four, because we don't have the skills for identifying the principles of the natural law, Modern self-help encourages us to lean on experts in the major decision-making of our lives, rather than depending on our own ability to discern truth and principles. Reason number five, without the ability to discern principles themselves, creators of modern self-help mix up any principles they may teach with a myriad of applications, confusing us, causing us a great waste of time, and potentially moving us backward rather than forward. Understanding why I spent years spinning my wheels in modern self-help resources helped me see why my best efforts often led to failure. This was a huge relief. It gave me courage to find new answers and a new path for myself and my family. I felt incredibly empowered because I not only knew why self-help doesn't help, but I knew what to do instead. Because of my newfound understanding of the law of nature, I could see that from it flow timeless principles that I could discover and live, and that they were the truths that will make me free. I knew exactly how to proceed. I simply needed to gain the skills for identifying true principles and then learn the best techniques to practice them in my everyday life. I knew it would be hard and it would probably take many years, maybe even a lifetime. But I didn't care how long it took because 
Some of the greatest individuals in history had verified the reality and effectiveness of this path. I was determined to discover and live truth, not just for me, but for my family as well. Now, 20 years later, I'm a different woman. Through writing, speaking, teaching, and practice, I have learned the skills for identifying the true principles that flow from the law of nature and applying them to my life. This has generated increased freedom in virtually every area of my life. My marriage, our finances, my relationships, my health, my education, my self-knowledge, my life fulfillment. I cannot emphasize enough how this new way of seeing and engaging in the world keeps me on solid ground, keeps my confidence high, and empowers me to discern and follow truth. My life is far from perfect, but I know how to meet the new challenges that present themselves by applying timeless truths that always bring better results. I have walked this path long enough to know that the law of nature with its underlying first principles and principles is the truth that is truly making me free. It's also as Blackstone and Covey and so many other others promised, making me happier and more successful. Thankfully, it's not just me that's benefiting. I recently got a phone call from one of my students. She was struggling in her marriage and attending marriage therapy with her husband. At a critical point, she felt she needed to take a particular action in her marriage and her therapist counseled her differently. She asked me, Audrey, I think that my therapist is giving me an application, not a principle. She then shared with me the principle she felt she should apply. I think this is the principle and I should apply it in my marriage differently than my therapist is counseling me. In fact, I think she's not only telling me an application, I, it's clear that she can't tie it back to a true principle. Am I right? Is this a principle? And should I apply it in my own way? I told her she was right and she should follow the principles she had uncovered. Her newfound sense of confidence and courage to stand up to her therapist wasn't born out of discomfort or laziness, but out of knowledge of the law of nature and the skills she'd worked hard to gain in identifying the truth and applying it appropriately to her own situation. She has become the expert in her own life. Not that she has all the answers, but she knows how to identify the true principles and valiantly champion those rather than being constantly confused by the barrage of information and applications being thrown at her. Learning about the law of nature and true principles can do the same for you. Rather than running to the next thing that promises you the solution to the pain you are in, you can become the authority in your own life. You can have the truth make you free through gaining the skills to identify the principles for yourself and practice applications of them in your own life in ways that will work for your unique circumstances. Obviously, there are skills that will take time and practice to develop, but I know that the work is well, well worth the result. That's why I've spent so much time speaking and writing about the importance of these truths and why I built several courses and master classes educating people on how to live in more principle-centered ways. I've dedicated my life to this message and to building tools to help others along this path. Stephen Covey said it best when he said, the internalization of correct principles is the foundation upon which lasting success and happiness are based. You don't need self-help to meet your potential. You need the truth to make you free.
Hey, are you ready to have the truth set you free? Head over to AudreyRinlessBacher.com and get the Truth Seeker Starter Kit for free, where I walk you through the five steps for discovering and applying true principles to your life so you can experience their liberating power. See you there.